But I think um, literacy is a great way to 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 tiptoe into social emotional learning, especially for kids who are having a difficult time transitioning or who can't um, find words to express certain things or who are having uh, issues um, making good choices. everyone. Welcome to Chalk and Ink, the podcast for teachers who write and writers who teach. I'm your host, Kate Narita, author of 100 Bugs Accounting Book and Fourth Grade Teacher. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Angela Shante. She's an educational consultant and the author of The Noisy Classroom. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, everyone. We are so thrilled to have Angela Shante here with us today. She is the author of The Noisy Classroom, which came out this year, 2020, and she has also been a long-term educator. And I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. So, Angela, could you please tell us a little bit about who you are as a teacher and who you are as a writer as well? Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning. Um, as a teacher, I am a out-of-the-box, kind of fun, uh, quirky, very much like the the teacher in my, my book, um, hands-on, inquiry-based uh, teacher, and also because I'm doing educational consulting and um, curriculum work now, I'm the same way with the teachers that I um, work with. Um, and as a writer, I think I'm pr- pretty much the same way. I, I like to write characters that are multi multi-faceted, um, multi-dimensional, uh, quirky teachers that also have an edge or nervous uh, kids that are also like sarcastic, like the little girl in my book. And so I'm always looking to, um, in anything that I do, push the boundaries and um, yeah, and, and try something that hasn't been done before. So you mentioned that you're an educational consultant. In case any teachers or their districts want to get a hold of you to work with you, how would they do that? Um, you can shoot me an email. There's a form on my website. Um, my website is angelashante.com. Uh, or you can shoot me an email at uh, bookings at um, angelashante.com. I have tons of information. I have a catalog of professional development opportunities that I offer, workshops, um, student workshops, residency programs. Um, yeah, I've been working with New York City schools and LAUSD for a bit. Wow, that's really exciting. They must really benefit from working with you. You bring so much They're knowledge great. and experience. <laughs> I love working with teachers. Like I really miss leaving the classroom. I left the classroom in 2015. Um, but being with the teachers and really helping, especially those first year teachers and helping them um, get through, you know, all of the unnecessary and nervous things of, of being a teacher in the classroom has really been a great opportunity for me to keep one foot in education and one foot in writing. So um, it's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, definitely. That first year of teaching, it's it's unlike any other year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Challenges. For sure. Yeah, challenges. And also, but I think uh, the teachers develop a bond with their students also unlike any other year as well. Absolutely. And it's your, your, your learning year, you know, where you're shaking off that kind of like, uh, you know, college from theory to practice kind of like a thing. And you're like, okay, well now this is what it actually feels like to be in the classroom. And it's a great, it's a great year. I remember being so nervous, but I had a lot of support, um, my first year teaching. So. 
Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, I think it's kind of like an earthquake when you talk about shaking off that theory to practice. It's you're <laughs> definitely jumping in with both feet. For sure. For so, sure. You know, which came first for you? You know, the passion for teaching or the passion for writing? I was listening to another interview with you and you talked about Nikki Grimes finding her in middle school. But I'm wondering, you know, were you writing even before middle school? And how about teaching? Was that a part of who you were, like even as a child? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I feel like they kind of always been hand in hand, hand in hand. Um, when I, I, I used to write all the time as just like an angsty teenager, um, listening to Alanis Morissette and writing these like very emo poems. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, and as growing, and when I, when I became a, a teenager, like a, a working teenager, I worked with kids. It was my first job. It was my only job really. And I really enjoyed it. Um, one, because I was working with kids in my community and two, because, you know, it's just something that if it's really fulfilling to work with a, a younger generation and help them develop into mature citizens and, and, and um, people. And so, you know, hand to hand and hand to hand and until I got to college and I was like, I would really pr- like to do this writing as a profession, but I had no blueprint. You know, I had no um, one to, to guide me and say, well, this is what you do in order to be a writer. So for me, I went to my, my, my other passion, which was teaching. And so, um, even when I w- was going through, um, my teacher certification program, I was still writing poems and going to open mics and kind of whispering my poems on the, <laughs> in areas where people didn't know me. Um, and so I've always kind of had a one foot in education and one foot in writing. Um, and then when I decided to leave the classroom and I had a little bit more free time, I was like, well, let me see, you know, how this may play out. <laughs> so, um, and so I think, I think for me, they were always hand in hand and they will always be hand in hand. Um, yeah. My two loves. I definitely feel the same way. They really do go hand in hand for me as well. You mentioned finding a blueprint for writing. So have you found one of those or how has your writing developed over the years? Um, no, I mean, uh, I started, I think, okay, let me backtrack. I have not found the blueprint yet. (laughs) I am happy to have an agent who is kind of guiding me through this process. But, um, for a while I was floundering. I was writing random articles for, um, uh, freelance uh, magazines. I was doing, um, writing technical papers. I was doing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of different writing until I really found somebody who was like, this is the, you're good at writing for kids. Let's fi- let's focus on this. And so I'm still kind of trying to find my balance as a writer. Cause I do screenplays. I'm in poetry and all of these things, but I think I am learning that I can be the blueprint um, <laughs> in navigating this world and also learning from other writers who come before me. But in terms of like the business aspect of it, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. I don't know anything about business or business writing or learning how to find an agent and a publicist and all of these things. So I'm still kind of learning those things. No, definitely. It's a huge learning curve. I know when my book came out and I realized I was the one who had to market it, I was really... Right? <laughs> I'm like, what is that? (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's a good thing I didn't realize this or maybe I wouldn't have tried to get it published. (laughs) Oh, man, it's a whole nother beast. (laughs) It totally is. Oh, my goodness. So can you talk about how, you know, being a teacher and working as an educational consultant affects your writing? 
You know, if somebody else else asked me that and I and I shamelessly was like, it benefits, you know, because I feel like it does. You know, I write for kids and I've spent the good chunk of my life from 14 to now, you know, 15 plus years with kids. And so I know what they're feeling developmentally as an educator, obviously, but also intimately as a, as a, as a mentor where I'm kind of like not out of, in the classroom. And so I, I hear those things that they're saying. I, I know, the, you know, what they're going through chunk by chunk, what's the coming of age things that they're grappling with. And so I think it really in, in, um, impacts my work and makes my work a little bit more strong because I hear those voices all the time. And I know those voices year by year, age by year. I've taught kindergarten through college. And so I think my time as a teacher has has really helped shape the voices of my characters, I think. I totally agree. And, you know, I was listening to one of your interviews and you talk about how kids are deep and a lot of time how people don't. So deep. Yeah. And people don't understand that. And I think when you're working in the classroom, you, it's, it's more than understanding. It's, it's true knowledge of that, of just, you know, children are, are people. They're not, they're not in a separate category. And I think that's something that teachers understand in a way that people who don't work with kids, they can't understand it at the same level. I feel that's a gift. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Kids are, you know, I've learned so many lessons from kids and, you know, you think they're young, you know, what can they offer? And it's like, you know, they're just amazing little specks of people (laughs) and um, they're great. You know, kids, I always try to go into a classroom or any kind of educational setting with that mindset of, you know, these are full people, like they're not like half people, right? You know, let's treat them, let's treat them like they're full, um, knowledgeable, you know, obviously at the developmental level that they're at, but also giving them the, um, the power to make certain decisions and to have these deep conversations. And, you know, kids will surprise you. They will surprise you. Oh, yes, definitely. It's, it's really true. And, in somewhere where I was reading, you talk about how it's important to, you know, take a pause and it's okay to say that you don't know when you're working with a child. And I think that's so important because, you know, so often adults will act like they know when they don't know. And as you've also mentioned, honesty is key and kids pick up Mm -hmm. on that. They know when you're not being honest. I think, you know, for me, as I was as I was learning like who I wanted to be as an educator, um, that was a shift. You know, I grew up in a very um, traditional kind of like adults are here and, and kids are, are, you know, under and you respect and everybody is Mr. and Mrs. Um, Mr. and Mrs. And so like, you know, when I'm shaping the my pedagogy in, in the classroom, it's it, it that is the biggest shift for me. Um, just understanding that if the goal of school is to prepare kids to be citizens, why not treat them already like citizens, right? Why not treat them like they have these functioning brains that yes, we want them to develop and think critically, but um, we could, we could still have these very deep and complex conversations with them now. Um, And so I always try to go in and, and make sure that I'm giving kids not the half you know, what my mom used to say, because I said so <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> and, and, and really explaining to them, you know, some of these things, it's very constructivist and pro- progressive for me, but um, it's really, I don't know, I can ramble, but. <laughs> well, I, I think what you said is super important. That's what we are doing is we're teaching kids how to be citizens. And if we're not doing right. critical teaching, then why are we in the classroom? Right. 
Um, how do you think your writing affects your teaching? You know, <laughs> when I was in the classroom, I feel like the the literacy block was like a very long block. We would <laughs> we would spend so much time, but but my students were very much into it, and it wasn't just me kind of like forcing it on them because I love to write. But it was they really were they really took to writing and maybe it's because it's something that's close to my heart but I feel like the reading and writing blocks were very extended in my classroom and we spent a lot of time talking about craft and things like that and so um you know those were the areas where I was like all right let's <laughs> let's find new creative ways of teaching voice and this and that or whatever and I think because because I was a writer at heart teaching writing was just something that I threw my whole heart and soul and kitchen sink into. And my kids, like, they loved it. They could sit for and do independent, like, quiet writing for, like, hours if I'd let them. And the timer would go off and they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, yes, we have to go do other things. <laughs> um, and so I think because I really loved it, you know, this is the same. If you're a math person and you're teaching math and you're really into it, your kids are going to get into it. Your kid, your students, I call them my kids, they're going to get into it. So I think, I don't know, they go hand in hand and, you know, that's how it affected, affected my writing. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. You know, I sometimes have to cut our writing block short or sometimes not do it. And my kids get very upset with me when that happens. They're really yeah. not happy. And I think that's because, you know, they come to realize in my classroom that writing is a powerful tool. And so for you know, sure, if I don't give that to them, I think they feel that I've taken something away from them during the day. Right. Um, and they look forward to it, I think, too. Uh, oh, totally. They totally look <laughs> forward to it. I think because it's, it's exciting, you know, just like when you open a book, you don't really know what's going to be inside of it. And it's the same mm -hmm. thing when your pen hits the paper, or your pencil hits the paper, you don't really know what's going to come out. You may think you do, but you don't. Right. Right. Um, tell us about a, a breakthrough moment you had in your writing. Um, hmm. You know, it's funny because before before I was working with a editor and a publicist, you know, I'm writing stories that I'm like, these are great. <laughs> these are amazing. Everyone will love these stories. And and there's a difference when you're writing with an editor who who knows the market and knows the trade and, and is giving you tips and and you know some of the most of the things that are my breakthrough are coming from her. Um because she, you know, she, I'm so close to my writing um, that I don't I don't see that the the character who's supposed to be you know whatever years old is speaking like an adult because I'm I'm the adult writing it right and so when I go to edit and redraft she she brings those things to my mind and I always have to go back with a different lens and say you're right you know I'm so close to it but you know that's always the biggest the the biggest thing for me when I write I love editing I love drafting that's my favorite step in the writing process I tell my kids that all the time because they sometimes go into it begrudgingly and I'm like no this is where they're magic happens. And so my biggest breakthrough is that step because I'm listening to other people. I step away and I'm listening to other people's opinion of what, what I'm writing and, and taking that in because, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. And so that's, you know, 
that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think editing is really amazing because like you said, you can, you know, really make something shine. And I also like mm-hmm. what you talked about, which I don't think people realize enough is how writing is really a team effort. And oh, for sure. You know, you see that in the classroom, but also in the publishing world. So, you know, kids don't necessarily, at least I found in my classroom, they're, they're anxious about having their work critiqued by other students. Mm-hmm. But I tell them, no, yep. this is a gift. I tell them anytime someone gives you feedback, it's a gift because it's a chance to make your work stronger. And, you know, yeah. in publishing, we see that even more, you know, working with an editor, working with an illustrator, you know, all these new ideas yeah. come to the front that wouldn't be there if we were simply working in a bubble by ourselves. Absolutely. I think in the classroom too, this was something that, was a difficult step for my students to understand too. But at the end of the year, they really, they were really into this step. And we would do like peer to peer editing, group editing, red pen, blue pen editing, um, and, and drafting and, and having those conversations about what other people are seeing in your writing is really powerful because you want them to see certain things. And maybe it's not necessarily coming across as strongly as possible, but with a couple of tweaks here and there, you can. And it's not a negative kind of kind of thing. It's a positive thing to make your writing stronger. And so like, that's my kids, they, my students, you know, that's the step that they really, it took them a, a, a long time to, to kind of like warm up to, but it was really a powerful um, step in our, in our writing blocks. It definitely sounds like you developed that that atmosphere in your classroom. Can you talk a little bit about group editing? What did that look like for you? So um, group editing was was more kind of like copy editing um, at points if it was more than two kids. And so, you know, we would they would all go through and look at uh, technical aspects of it, the commas, the quotes, the grammar, you know, like those little things. And they would do a, a once over for that. And after that surface level, when there was a new draft, um, group editing would focus more on um, voice and kind of uh, the structure of the writing um, and just a little bit more deep kind of things. And it would be an opportunity for the writer to sit and just take it in and not, you know, I'm not going back and saying anything, but I'm listening to my peers. I'm listening to what they got from the story, what the holes were that they found in the story. Um, and it was it was really powerful, I think, for my kids to, one, be able to articulate critical uh, critical cr- critique of somebody else's work, but in obviously a positive way with leading with the with the good bun is what I like to call it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the top bun. Um, <laughs> but a, a good also a good opportunity for the writers who were were receiving this feedback and listening to their peers about um, about what their writing did to them or, or, or spoke to them. And um yeah, it was great. You know, and I used to do it with second graders. And so <laughs> you, you'd you be really amazed with these second graders. They have these like very nuanced things about writing and they, they were so great. I miss them so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just goes back to what you said about how, how children have so much to teach us. Now, when you were doing this group editing, how many kids would you have in a group? No more than four. Okay. No more than four. Yeah. So it would be the writer and then three peers or, you know, four or five, but definitely nothing bigger than kind of like a guided writing group. Um, and yeah, it, or you know, come up with these creative ways because sometimes when you do peer editing, you have that one kid who always wants to go with their same friend every single time mm. and they don't get the, you know, they don't get the breath of what what their writing um, looks like outside of their friend's eyesight. And so I came up with this group editing thing to kind of like do that. But 
That's a great idea. So did everyone, so if you had that group of four or five kids, did just one child get their work edited a day and then on Tuesday and the next child will get their work edited or did everyone get their work edited on the same day? No, it was one. We okay. didn't, we didn't have time. So <laughs> okay. if I left it to them, they would try to do it all in one, <laughs> you know, but what's funny is you, you could see, you could see the other writers in the group listening to the critique and then kind of like looking at their work for those m- points where they, you know, so that they could, even if they weren't the writer at that, if at that session to be critiqued. Um, so I thought it was a great learning opportunity for, for kids to, 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 to do that. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I've seen that in my classroom too, where they all hear a critique of someone else's work and you can see they go back and then apply it to their own writing. For sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're working as an educational consultant and you're writing. How do you balance your teaching and your writing and then, you know, your personal life as well? Personal life? What's that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, you know, I, I, I balance it well. I mean, right now, everybody is in summer vacation. So we're gearing back up to back to school. So it's been very light for me on the educational consultant side um, with a lot of schools kind of like rejigging and figuring out how they're going to do back to school. Um I've taken a I've taken my educational consultant a little bit to the backseat. I still have clients that I'm going to work with in the fall, but it's given me a lot of free time to write. And so what I've been doing for the summer is just chunking out like the morning, all morning I'm going to write, you know, or all afternoon I'm going to write. So it's a four hour chunk. Um, and then, you know, there's lunch in between and then I switch gears to something else. But I feel that that's, that's, the routine that really helps me get into the groove of things of writing. Um, when we go back to back to school, it'll, it'll probably flip. I'll probably be doing like consulting or, you know, vis- virtual visits in the morning and then writing in the afternoon. But yeah, with back to school and COVID and quarantine and we don't know looming in the air. Um, <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've had a lot more time to write this summer. So that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, I feel like I've been really taking advantage of time to write this summer, too, in a way that's different than before. And I do feel that's, you know, because of COVID, I actually had a few weeks when COVID first started where my district didn't know what we were doing. And I took advantage of setting a writing schedule for myself during that time. Yeah. And then once school ended, I was able to carry that through the summer. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, it's great to have a little bit more free time. And I think you know, it's helped, it's helped me be a little bit more focused as a writer. I sometimes have a million projects that I'm working on at one time and, you know, just be freeing up. My schedule has helped me to kind of like prioritize those projects and, and knock some of them off, especially this summer. Oh, that's great. I'm glad it's been so productive for you. Yeah, it's been. Um, what advice do you have for teachers who are thinking about writing but haven't taken that step? Um, I say do it. <laughs> right. Um, go onto Twitter. There are always um, these pitch parties where agents are looking for people and publishing companies are looking for people. Um, and if you have a really tight um, 
uh, synopsis, you know, 150 characters or less of your book, you may get picked up. Um, I think that teachers have great ideas. A lot of the um, writers that I've been on panels with, um, authors like yourself that I've been on panels panels with have been teachers. And I'm like, your books are amazing, you know, cause, because <laughs> we're, we're around creativity all day. And so, you know, it's I think that it's a natural thing for us to want to write these stories, especially um classroom teachers. And so I would say, right. I would say, try to get something really in tip top shape, something that is really close to your heart um, and, and query that and send that out for submissions and see if there are agents that are signing people. Because right now, you know, everyone's in indoors and there are tons of agents um, scanning Twitter, scanning social media, trying to find the new um, next author. And I think that this is a great opportunity for writers, um, teacher writers to get their work out. I never really thought about it like that. Did you meet up with your agent through a Twitter pitch party? I did not. Um, luckily, so when I was still trying to cast a wide net of writing, I was also editing. Um, and so I was editing for publishing companies and trade book companies, educational publishing companies. And through some of that freelance consultant work, I um, I connected with a, a, a agent who, um, Michelle McAvoy's agent, I was working on her book, uh, The Gorilla Pick Me. And and I was that's a great book, by the way. Pick it up, everyone. Um <laughs> and and you know, she was really like we were going back and forth, and I was like, Yeah, this lady seems really nice. Let me see if she's looking for new authors. And she's like, Oh, you write too? And I'm like, Yeah, I do. I'm doing this editing just to kind of like figure out like where I want to be, but I have all of these stories. And she was like, Send me something. And you know. That led to her being like, great, you're amazing. I'll sign you. And I signed with her that year and I signed my, and I got my picture, my first picture book picked up that year um, and the next one, the next year. And I have another one coming out next year. And so, <laughs> you know, I think a closed mouth never gets fed. <laughs> so if you know an agent, um, you know, just, you know, you don't want to push your manuscript onto them, but you could say, are you accepting new clients right now? Are you accepting submissions? And so that was how I ended up, um, get, because I was querying, uh, the noisy classroom across the country, all up and down. And, and, you know, people were like, oh, it's good, but you don't have an agent. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was uh, a thing. But, yeah. No, it's definitely helpful to have an agent for sure. And I think when yeah, you th- go ahead. No, no, no. I was agreeing. Yeah. And I think when you have like a relationship with somebody before, it's even more likely that the relationship is is going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so uh, what's one writing exercise or activity that you can share with our listeners that they can try in their own classrooms? And I know you've worked across the board, so it could be for elementary classroom or, you know, middle school or high school, however you want to answer the question. Um, for the younger kids, I like to do like a mashup story um, elements, uh, which is basically all the kids in the classroom will give me a character. So that's the C. Um, and, and it's very random characters, just, you know, on a piece of paper or a, 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 a post it. Just write one character. Some people are like the angry teacher, the the shy <laughs> caterpillar, caterpillar, you know, like all of these characters, any character. So they throw that into the C bin. And then um, 
now give me an obstacle because we know when we're writing fiction, you know, there's always an obstacle that happens. There's there's either, you know, a bad guy trying to do this or an internal conflict or whatever. So they would write all these obstacles on, you know, pieces of paper. You get random things from kids like trying to save the world from the, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then give me a, you know, what, what they, what they want to do. Uh, so it's, uh, character obstacle and what they want to accomplish at the end. Um, so who's the obstacle and what, for what they want. So we have this cow, we jig them up, we shake them up and every kid comes up and they'll pull one C one O one W and go and write. Oh my God. And whatever. So fun. And what, <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> it is so fun. And whatever they get, you know, I say, you know, you can tweak it a little bit here and there. If the main character is a guy and your problem is, you know, she wanted to whatever, you know, that we can switch that up or whatever, but try to try to stick with it. And um, like, I have a tons of like things like that, that I do in my like personal like workshops when I work with kids and teens, um, just to elicit ideas. But you know, that's one thing that I kind of like to do when kids are like, I don't know what I'm going to write. You know, <laughs> I, I I can't come up with anything. Um, and it's a fun game and it's a quick game. That sounds fantastic. So like if you had 20 kids in your classroom, each child would have a different cow to write about. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. That's yep. amazing. Yep. Yeah. It just totally takes away that problem of what do I write about? Right. And then you have this this story that your imagination, your creativity could run wild because it wasn't something that you you had to pull out of yourself. Now, here you have the elements go and write. And um, yeah, I, you know, kids, <laughs> kids write some really funny stories with that when they do that activity. But yeah, I have tons of little activities that I do with kids, you know, especially kids that are like, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I got something for you. Here we go. <laughs> oh, you'll be sorry you said that. <laughs> I know. Because I know. <laughs> I know. I have, I've never met a reluctant writer that I couldn't get <laughs> that I couldn't get into something. So um you uh wrote an article called Black Artists Who Shape My Pen, which is published on the West Martin Press blog. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, you said there that writing can be therapeutic and a powerful tool. Could you talk about how you combine social emotional learning and writing in your classroom? Yeah, I mean, um, there are, you know, obviously we, when I was in the classroom, we were just starting that social emotional learning and developing curriculum around it. And some of it had to do with writing, you know, um, you know, talking about difficult situations or problem solving difficult situations or weaving um, some of those personal, uh, personal events and, and into their writing. And I think, through writing or through reading um, other people's writing, it's a great opening, uh, discussion opener for kids. And so I would use, you know, whether I'm reading a, a chapter book or um, we're writing certain things, I would stop and, and, and talk about those kind of like moments. Um, you know, what's the conflict here? Like, how are we, how are we getting, how is the character or the writer or, or the reader getting through these conflicts? And, and what does that tell us about ourselves and what does that tell us about the time period you know obviously if you're doing a period piece but I think um literacy is a great way to 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 tiptoe into social emotional learning especially for kids who are having a difficult time transitioning or who can't um find words to express certain things or who are having uh, 
issues, um, making good choices. And so I try to highlight that. Um, I try to, to try to highlight that with with writing and reading as much as possible because it takes out the, you did this, you know, like this is an issue that we're having as a classroom now, let's discuss it. Um, and brings it more of a, a character kind of like trait. Um, and so I think reading and writing is a great way to 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 have those discussions with younger kids and older kids who may be having some of these um, emotional obstacles that characters that they're reading about are having as well. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. I mean, especially with the reading, I think it becomes very safe to discuss it because it's not about you. And then what I right. found with what I found with writers workshop is, you know, when the kids share out their work at the end of the workshop. Sometimes they'll share something and, you know, all the other kids in the classroom, they'll be doing the shock assign, like, oh, me too, me too, in a way mm. that they would they would never do at a different time. But I just think sometimes right. their writing is so honest and, you know, they read it so they're not even thinking about it when they're reading it aloud that it connects with the kids in a different way than it would be if we were just having a discussion. Yeah. I mean, writing, writing is so powerful. It's it, so powerful. Yeah, it really is. It's it's incredible. It's completely changed my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, just for fun, what's one book that you haven't written that you think that every elementary classroom should have? Or if you want to say more than one, that's fine too. Ooh, that I have not hmm. that, that you have not written, that someone else has written, but like you think it should be in every elementary classroom. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like um, First Day Jitters. That's like one of my favorites um, because I use it for back to school all the time <laughs> when I'm reading, even with the older kids. Um, and I forget who wrote that book. Uh, I don't know, but we can link it up on the show notes. Yes. Um, and because it's a story about, you know, like all the while this person is getting ready for back to school and they're really nervous and their dad is like, come on, you know, like you got this or whatever. <laughs> and then at the end, I don't want to give it away, but at the end, it's the teacher. Oh. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the teacher. And so that opens discussions for kids because they're like, wait a minute adults have, you know, the same, you know, feelings that we do. And so I use that book every year. I start with that book every year. Um, and I love that book. And I think if you are a classroom teacher and you have not read that book, you go out and get that book now. Well, <laughs> I have so not good. read that book, so I am on it. Thank you so much. It's, yeah. It's good. <laughs> I forgot who wrote, I forgot the author, but I definitely had it in my classroom. I had a couple copies in my classroom, but yeah. <laughs> That reminds me, there's a book called Snow Day, and it's the same thing where uh, the character's all excited, and at the end, you find out it's the teacher and not a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. pretty- it's, I love books like that. Yeah, they're very powerful, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I also want to mention that you have another fantastic article on the glowstreamtv.com, where you give tips to decolonize and di- diversify your child's library, and I was hoping you might share those with our listeners in case they would like to do the same in their classroom library. Yes, you know, <clears throat> at this time where we're all kind of being very cognizant of what we're putting in front of kids and what we're, we're, we're feeling our libraries with, someone was like, well, why don't you write this article, you know, for parents to help them kind of like pick the correct books. And for me, it's not about giving a list to someone um, because, you know, adults who are buying books are very 
aware of what they're buying. They're adults. They can critically think by themselves. But it's it's more about giving tools of how to look at books with a lens. And so I gave four um, quick little tips about, you know, just, just when you're purchasing new books um, or when you're looking at old books in your library, because that could also be a problem. Um you know, what can you, what's the lens that you can look at it through to see if it's something that's going to decolonize your library for your students or your kids. And so the first thing was to seek diverse authors, not just diverse books. I remember a lot of times growing up, you know, there, there's a black character in a book or maybe not the main black character, um, or, you know, a side character and it'd be like, oh, you know, like I can relate to this, you know, this character, she looks like me or he looks like me and the author is white um, on the back. And I'm not saying that necessarily that that's a negative thing because diverse content is important, but I also think diverse authors who write diverse content is a little bit stronger in my opinion. And so seeking diverse authors, not just diverse books, because sometimes you have, you know, you have someone outside of a culture writing about that culture and they don't get all of the nuances and it could be a little bit, uh, it could be harmful um, to, you know, a kid growing up. Yeah. And so that's my first tip. Um, <laughs> I can talk more about that, but yeah, that's my first tip. Um, well, the second you know, thing was to goes, look. I think it kind of goes back to what you're talking about, honesty, back in the beginning, right? Kids pick up on that and they pick up if it's mm-hmm. someone's experience or not their experience. Right. You know, you want authentic stories in front of kids. And and the best way to get authentic stories is to be telling it from your own voice. Um, um, And so two was um, look for for biases beyond the cover. Uh, A lot of times we have... um, you know, there's a black kid on the cover or a black boy on the cover, you know, or an indigenous person on, co- uh, on the cover. But inside of the book, you know, all of the Latinas and Latinos are um, workers, right? And we don't see them in a position of power or all the black, you know what I mean? So it, or the, or the mm-hmm. black families are broken home families and we don't see anything, any kind of double parent housing situation. And so sometimes the cover speaks a lot and it's like, yes, this, you know, the, here are these BIPOC people. Um, but then inside there's harmful information mm-hmm. to, to kids. And, um, and so I want us to look beyond the cover. The third tip is um, don't fall for the hardship only narrative. Um, I've seen this a lot in, in my classroom when I taught middle school and high school. Um, a lot of the YA books at that point were hardship YAs. We're going through police brutality stories and we're telling um, the immigrant story and the ICE story. And and these are valid stories in, in, in BIPOC's culture, but it's not the only story that we can tell. It's not the only Black perspective. And so when you're in, when you're adding these books to your library, you want to make sure that we have more than those hardship stories for diverse readers and diverse writers. And so that's the third tip. And then the last thing was to include other voices of diversity. Um, I think that sometimes when people talk about diversity, it's just cultural diversity or race um, diversity, but there is a whole plethora of books um, that you can infuse for the LGBTQ community. There's a whole plethora of books written by um, not able-bodied people, people who are in wheelchairs, people who are um, deaf, um, you know, communities that are marginalized within their communities um, also have a unique, very, very unique voice to bring to um, students and, and the books that they write. And so, 
Um, that was it. Those were just, you know, four little things um, that I wrote up about and decolonizing your library and diversifying your library for kids. Well, thank you for sharing those. I think it's really helpful that there are four tips because I think that's something manageable that we can all do, you know, versus trying to think of, I don't know, you know, even like 20 different steps where that might seem overwhelming. But we just think, okay, (laughs) I'm going to do these four steps. That seems like that's something that we can do. And it will benefit our students tremendously. The unofficial fifth step is is one that I talked about on Twitter a lot when this article came out is to buy beyond the list. We have the New York Times bestsellers list. We have this list and that list, but there are a whole slew of indie authors, and I'm one of them, um, that are not on these lists, but have great books, you know, and so it's great to, yes, do the popular list. Um, so we're buying on the list, but also to do the, a little bit of diligence and research on your own and to find someone off off a list or in an indie bookstore, indie indie publisher that, you know, that also fulfills these four steps for you because, you know, there are tons of writers out there that are are amazing and may not be on your top 100 books for Black, you know, diverse characters or something like that. Yeah, there really are. There are so many great books out there that people just don't know about. So that's also tremendously yeah. important. Well, I want to thank you so much, Angela. This has been a blast. I have learned a ton and I feel very excited to, you know, get back into the classroom after talking with you and also to continue on my writing journey. Um, and I am, yeah. <laughs> so what grade are you teaching this year? Uh, fourth grade. So this is my seventh oh. year, yeah, teaching fourth grade. And I am, I just feel so incredibly grateful to have this job. I think, I know you said you were working with second and third graders before you became a consultant, but I am, a, I don't know, I'm just, I'm crazy about fourth graders. Fourth grade is a good year, <laughs> it, for sure. It really is. I mean, they can just do so much. They are, they can, they can do basically what any adult can do, but yet they still have the magic. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of kids, not everyone, but a lot of the kids, you know, seem to lose and the social pressures aren't quite as much as they are like in fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So for I, sure, for I, sure. It is just such an incredible developmental time. And um, I just consider it such a gift to be able to spend my days with them right now. I don't know if we're going back hybrid or remote or what that really looks like. So, you know, like you said okay. earlier, there's some unknowns there, but um, whatever the situation is, we're going to make the best out of it. Well, if you ever need a rambling writer friend to come in to do anything, a virtual tool, <laughs> book Q&A with them, let me know. I'm open to, you know, doing some of that. I'm actually doing free virtual um, visits uh, um, in the fall for a bunch of teachers. So if you're interested, let me know. Oh, I definitely will. I'll definitely take you up on that. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. I know you mentioned your website earlier on, but can you just mention it again in case people want to find out more about your work and more about who you are? Sure, sure. Yeah. So my website is AngelaShante.com. It's Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A, Shante, S-H-A-N-T-E, one word, dot com. You can also find me on Instagram at The Noisy Classroom or on Twitter, just for adults, um, at, <laughs> from AJ with love. I, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> so. All right. But, um, Angela Shante.com. All right. Thank you so much, Angela. I hope you have a fantastic day. You as well. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Chalk and Ink. 
Join us two weeks from today when we interview Brenda Meyer, author of The Little Red Fort and Peeping Beauty. Can't wait to see you again soon. Take care. Bye.